Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right. Don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple podcast as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I'm Pat Nevin. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Uh, As always, your host, Brandon, joined by Dan and Nick. Uh, Gentlemen, we have part two of the season review uh, I saw that uh, Chidge did two parts to their season review, so that was a, probably a minimum five to six hour commitment, Nick. I'm, uh, seven, I, I definitely haven't gotten through it yet. Seven, 12, 19 hours. Those guys, uh, those guys love a long show. They do. It's the Lord of the Rings equivalent of a Chelsea podcast. The trilogy. Review. Yeah. It's, it's probably long enough. Um, so yeah, today we're going to be talking about wards, like player of the season, most improved and so many different things. And we'll look back at our preseason predictions, assuming you have time, fingers crossed. Uh, so to continue uh, in our, our season review, we have at Chelsea Youth back with us, Phil. Welcome back. Really excited to have you here. Is Again, there's such an academy connection to this team. It makes sense to have you here. Yeah, hi, thanks for having me back again. It's uh, It's been quite a season and it'll be, it'll be good to finish it off with a few of these awards and see what went well and what didn't. Yeah. We we are no no holding back here. We're going for it. Um, so since this is part two, uh, we don't have any new uh, Patreon or Apple podcast review shoutouts. Uh, so just continue to please subscribe on YouTube, watch it there, uh, and check us out on social media because that's where a lot of these conversations are going to be happening. So end of season rewards awards. Uh, Apparently, Dan, you wanted to start it big. You just wanted to not tease the people. No build-up. Your player of the season right away. They're going to just exit after this one. I mean, it, look, it's not 
You don't have to do that. You can pick another one out of the list. No, I mean, come on. That'll get way too confusing. So let's hear it. The player of the season was Aspilicueta for me, Mason Mount for Dan, uh, Aspilicueta for Phil and Nick. Mason Mount is my player. Mason, of the so season. we're split 50 50 between Aspi and Mount. Interesting, Dan. Why Mason Mount? Well, I, I don't think, and it, it's it's a tight one. I think there's um, actually good shouts for a lot of players this season. You know, Tammy carried us the whole first half of the season, gets almost 20 goals. Um, you know, his first uh, you know full season at Chelsea. Pulisic had an amazing kind of run of form, both in the first half and then the, the, the post-restart era when he wasn't injured that led us to doing really, really well. But I think if you're available to be called into action in 54 appearances over the course of a season, you add in eight goals, you get five assists, you played in, in three three to four different roles, you're asked to do pretty much anything – I, you know, I, I get why people see Kovacic as an example of a player that they point to. Um, I, I know that some people were very unhappy with our player ratings about Kovacic. I just, I can't be bothered. I, I, you know, when push came to shove and Frank needed to trust someone this season, uh, it was always Mason Mount. And, you know, yes, he did have a couple occasional bad games, but on the whole, uh, was, I think, one of the brightest spots of the, the season that we had, Nick. Yeah, I mean, t- a tireless commitment. Um, I, I, I think I am probably grading him on a little bit of a curve, to be fair, because of of the step up that he took from from the championship. Regardless, he played well this season. Is there a lot he can work on? Will he get better in the next two to three seasons? Uh, you can bet your sweet ass he will. Um, but for when I, when I think of this one, this award to me is is an encapsulation of like who am I going to remember from the 2019-2020 Chelsea season, and the first name on my team sheet is going to be Mason Mount out of that. So that's that's why it's my pick. All right. Well, I I I call them you know kind of Mister Consistency in a season of inconsistency. You know, for Azpilicueta, um, just the fact that he was an experienced player. You know. Usually a seven out of ten. Sometimes we got some glimpses. Had you know the assists, he was up there as well. But Phil, what about you? Stood out for Mister Mister Aspilicueta. I, I think he upheld the the higher standards of play more often than anyone else. I mean, Dan and Nick both quite easily could talk me into changing my vote to Mason Mount. It was very close Do between it. those two, Do it, Phil. and I think you could make a, a convincing-ish argument for Pulisic if you really wanted to because of how influential he was after the restart. But just just on balance, I think as Piliqueta recovered from uh, a struggling first month of the season to, to generally play really, really well in all phases of play. And I think he was particularly underrated in his ball progression later in the season. It wasn't any of the centre-backs who were really leading the passing. It was him coming inside from right back and doing a lot of the midfield job for them. So I think on balance, he deserves that recognition. Yeah, I mean, he was the captain all season, obviously. Um, filled that role. I mean, I think they're, you know he's he's not the perfect captain, but in this team, I think he does a really good job of holding players to a high level, but then also keeping the team bond there. And so just with it being such a transitional season, I felt like that was it. But totally can understand 
um, the Mason Mountain shots with the excitement and the energy and the tireless effort and his commitment to the cause and being just so Chelsea through and through. Um, I mean, there's really no wrong answer except cap off. So uh, goal of the season. Uh, I had Mount versus Wolves. Dan had Bakayo Tamori versus Wolves. Uh, actually, I just wrote that wrong. It was Fick versus Wolves. No, no, sorry. Free kick, end of the season. I lied. Uh, Tammy at Arsenal for Nick. And Mason Mount versus Aston Villa for Phil. So we'll go in reverse order, Phil. Mr. Mount at Villa. Why was that one such a standout for you? I'm I'm a bit of a sucker for volleyed goals. And this was a, a really, really nice goal. Uh, it, it sort of just kissed the crossbar as it went in. Full on the volley, Matthew Harding end. And it was also quite satisfying because I spent the entirety of that first half wanting Mason to get a little bit closer to Tammy because there were opportunities there for the two of them to link up. And very early in the second half, William pings the crossing from the right. Abraham just chests it off to Mount and he, he finds the roof of the net with a spectacular volley. I don't think you could ask for very much more there. All right, going in reverse order, continuing. Nick, Tammy at Arsenal. You love a Tammy goal. It's my favorite goal of the year. I mean, everyone knows how much I love beating Arsenal. To beat them on a counterattack in the 87th minute or whatever it was, um, after a you know, after he did all the work to get down there, and then William kind of played a, a difficult ball to him for him to steady himself, and then nutmeg the keeper on the way, and just to see the away fans that are right there, you know, on that because they reposted it today with the the fixture release. Um, so we're recording this on on Thursday the 20th, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And it, you know, it just, ah, it's chills, man. I loved it. It's my favorite goal of the year. I love that. That's such a fun one. Dan, what about you? You had Fick versus Wolves. It's a screamer. Perfectly placed, great <laughs> run up. It just, you know, for those who are watching on television, you know, you see the ball just kind of slowly rolling and you're wondering where, who's the runner in going to be? And you just see Tomori just blow it it's absolutely uncorks and yeah i mean that whole match was really fun just to to see kind of our, our youth players tammy mount and fakai all get on the the sheet that day but yeah i don't know it, it it's gonna it was super exciting and especially considering uh you know tomori's kind of just disappearance in the second half of the season i think i'll remember his uh his first half more fondly well without a doubt obviously um so me with mount versus wolves um it's just it was such a clutch goal in a time when we really need it to secure top four so i just felt like um you know at the beginning scene still playing pretty free not a lot of pressure enjoying it this was like a clutch time it was coming to the end of the season we knew we needed a result to clinch top four uh, and so for Mount to kind of step up in a pressure moment, I thought I was really proud to see that. I'm really excited for him as well. So um, I kind of added in the the weight of the situation to that as well. But I mean, look, I can't wait to to get the gifs and the cliffs and the and the clips of all the goals that people are going to vote for on this because there's just there was a lot of really cool ones. We didn't even talk about the Reese James versus Ajax that got a lot of love too. But uh, to each their own, and that is okay. What about best match of the season? So I had the the Wolves 2-Chelsea 5 match, even though it wasn't in my goal of the season. Uh, Dan had Tottenham 0-Chelsea 2. Uh, Nick had the United FA Cup semifinal win. And Phil also had Tottenham 0-Chelsea 2. So Dan, I'll go to you and then Phil, because I want to hear you guys' answers about this. Uh, I mean, why in the world would you care if we beat Tottenham? Away. 
Well, uh, extra sweet for a lot of reasons, right? Frank Lampard beating Mourinho is is fantastic. The energy and the post-celebration. I was watching back the coming home documentary that the club put out with the and just seeing the post-match reaction again and the players kind of walking through the Tottenham Stadium in the tunnels afterwards and how excited it was for them what it meant for them Frank's narration about what it's like to be like yeah of course I was going to celebrate because they were celebrating uh, was all fantastic and just you know seeing that the nicest guy in football uh, you know son get a red card, you know, just obviously there's so much, there was so much narrative in that. And then you get William with two goals. Come on. Like that was the perfect type of like for people who don't want to enjoy Chelsea winning because they have an objective or a narrative at times, Phil, this was like the perfect match to kind of like tick every box for like annoying people who kind of have an agenda against William or things of that nature. Like it was just a proper like Chelsea dust up. Yeah, it was everything you said is spot on. Beating Tottenham is always a reason to celebrate. But I also felt that this match was as complete a performance as Chelsea put in all season. They they changed to a three at the back for this match. They absolutely nullified anything Tottenham could do. And Lampard outcoached Mourinho, uh, which I don't think many people would have expected of him so early in his Premier League debut season. It was brilliant from start to finish they they controlled the game they made a good Tottenham team look ordinary and I think that's sort of the benchmark that Lampard wants to aim for every single week next season well I I mean again nothing to argue with what you guys said uh Nick leaving it late in the season for the FA Cup semifinal win over United why was that special for you because they didn't do the quadruple over us (laughs) well that um that was helpful yes but I, I like I agree with Phil that I think in the league Tottenham away might be our most complete performance. I think it was only trumped by our performance against Manchester United in the semifinal. Uh, United had nothing in that game. There was nothing doing. Chelsea obviously got lucky with uh, a bit of a deflection in from Kepa on Mason Mount's effort, but otherwise controlled the game, controlled the passing angles, made life hell uh, for Harry Maguire and. Didn't allow much, you know, leaky defense didn't allow much from uh, Greenwood or Martial or or um, Rashford or any of their attackers that had given us grief. Uh, so, yeah, I just, you know, in a semifinal to have a huge performance like that, amazing. Uh, obviously, it would have been better if we would have won the damn thing. But, um, yeah. Well, I, I can... Again, yeah, I mean, it was, it, getting to Wembley, especially with that, was such a... Uh, a big one of probably winning it would have been probably all of ours, but that didn't happen. Uh, I went with the Wolves to Chelsea five because that was really for me like the breakthrough for the Cobham crew. Uh, seeing the confidence of Mason, Tammy, and Fick all scoring, uh, beating a good Wolves side at that time too, uh, seeing a lot of heart. It was a shootout. We're like, all right, we'll take five twos all season. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> we did concede to a lot of the time. Didn't always score five. So, But for me, just seeing those young guys get the confidence in that match, um, I think that that really propelled most of them um, to, to having a very successful, in, in their own standards, rest of the season. So, um, yeah, r- just love seeing that. Uh, if we can go ahead and flip it, though, to worst match of the season, because why not? Um Phil had Sheffield United 3, Chelsea nil. Nick had Bournemouth at home. Dan had Chelsea nil, Bournemouth 1. 
I had West Ham in July, maybe Everton 3-1 in December, or you know, maybe in the, the times United beat us all season, twice in the league. Um, to me, it was really like the West Ham 3-2 right at the end of the season. We needed points. West Ham weren't doing great, and we just couldn't get over the line, couldn't stop a goal to save our life. And it was just, again, as it got to like the, the end of the season crunch time, that one was a huge uh, thrashing. But to see Duncan Ferguson just roll us in his first match against Everton, like that was, I was that not was a happy camper like most of you after that one. So anyways, uh, Dan and Nick, Bournemouth. You, got, you guys have an agenda against Bournemouth. I mean, Dan, what's your deal? Eddie Howe left. Get over it. I'm... I'm happy that we They're do not relegated. have to play them again <laughs> in the Premier League. Just they've been such a weird bogey side, and I am super happy that we will not be going to AFC Bournemouth away or have, inviting them into Stamford Bridge. I just it, low energy, low intensity, crappy goal in the 84th minute. I think that overhead miss. Yeah, pick. Just, it, it was oh. stupid. It was a stupid match. I want to banish it to the annals of history and never kind of think about Bournemouth playing us again ever. Yeah, Done. I mean, my, my creative director uh, was over for uh, Chelsea Southampton on Boxing Day, which was almost as bad, but at least Southampton are a semi-serviceable team. Bournemouth are awful, and the away match, the away draw, might have been even <laughs> might have been even worse if we hadn't rescued that thing. Because God, I mean, we just, we couldn't play against them. I have no idea why, um, but man, it's just a a terrible, terrible, terrible result at home. All right, Phil, over to you. You had the the shuffle United three nothing towards the end of the season there. Yeah, that was a, a desperate performance where absolutely nothing was up to scratch. It all started with the attitude and. It went downhill from there. We know that Sheffield United are a very accomplished team this season. You know what you're going to have to do when you go and play them, especially away from home. And everything that you didn't want to see came out in that match. I'm not going to suggest there wasn't a tactical plan, but it definitely wasn't executed properly. There was no semblance of a midfield. Anyone who was playing up front was hopelessly isolated. And the sooner we can forget about that performance, the better, because it was it was really ugly. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, right at the business end of the season, and uh, we needed something and got the opposite of what we needed. Um, all right, so there's some, some different ones here. So unsung hero of the season. So that was kind of an interesting way to phrase it, too. Because uh, we still have comeback player, best, worst, post-quarantine hair, most Chelsea thing, the Chelsea-Chelsea this season. But to have an unsung hero, that you know they don't really get the limelight. They don't get the praise. So to have some of the answers that we have made me interesting, especially Dan with you. You had Olivier Giroud. He's a striker. When do strikers not get the credit when they score goals? How is yeah, he Dan. unsung for you? Talk me through this. Yeah, Dan. Tell us. Well, I mean, no one compliments his beard and his uh, hair game enough. I really think we're under complimenting the grooming technique that he puts on in a day in day out basis. Probably World the class, best yeah. hair, <laughs> best hair we've had at the club since Alvaro Morata. You know, so I mean, that's saying something. Was that it hair? Never that, moved. That was a helmet, as we discussed. Never moved. Um, look, I, I, I think. For all the plaudits we gave him for scoring the goals, I, I just think from an unsung hero standpoint for. The willingness to ride the bench, the willingness to tough out the first half of the season, which did not go the way that I think he would have hoped he wanted. You know, he's definitely someone who wants to start, who wants to play, who wants to contribute goals to find a way back into the side, but, you know, a little bit through injury and a little bit from forced selection, ends up being our fourth 
highest goal scorer in the Premier League, his best season since 2016-17 in the Premier League, and does it on really what was a half a season, and part of that was post-restart too. And so I think you know there were plenty of people who were firing on all cylinders before the break and did not find their form again on the set, you know, when we resumed the season and for him to basically be iced for the majority of a campaign and then come back in. Like, I, I just don't think we're saying enough good things about him. That's why I put it there. So he's been given good things, but not enough good things. Exactly. Under, un- understood. <laughs> I was surprised he didn't really go into the fact like his link up play and his selfless running and, you know, the fact that he's a striker who doesn't score a lot of goals, but helps the team. But Hey, you do you over there, boo. All right. We're going to keep moving. Uh, because, uh, um, Nick, Nick, um, yeah, right up? there, boss. Did, did right. you see what you put in the script here? Yeah. Okay. Marcus Alonso. Yeah. Al- Alonso. Yeah. Okay. Alonso. Hero Alonso. was Hero. the title in the, mm-hmm. okay. Talk. All right. Let's Got do this. it. Got it. Yep. Um, I don't you know, like part of this is expectation setting, right? I don't think a lot of people would have expected Alonzo to play as much as he did this year, um, given that Emerson had an amazing preseason and, you know, you have the option for Dave at left back, you know, if you, if you need to pull the emergency cord there, um, he ended up playing a ton and not just because we transitioned to a back, you know, four or five, whatever, uh, throughout the season, but, uh, he came up with really crucial goals. And, uh, I think, when you think of the Tottenham performances, you think of his away performance at Bournemouth that, you know, he basically saved us on his own. Uh, you think of some of the crucial assists in the Champions League. He uh, he really stood out to me as a guy who uh, wasn't given a whole lot of credit, still is very, very controversial within the Chelsea community, but uh, for the most part stepped up. Does he have the odd bad game? Of course. Is he not still a true left back? Absolutely. But... Uh, given what he was given this year, I I believe he is an unsung hero of this team. Obviously, I was stacking the deck against you before you got to it, but I think you have a lot of good points there. I think that Alonzo, you know, has continued to force his way into the team uh, for the third straight manager, whether or not we really thought he'd be there or not, and he's adapted again. So, you know, yeah, kudos to him. Um, I'll keep mine short. I had Aspie. Mainly I was looking for a defender or a midfielder because usually um, they're the ones who tend to get overlooked. Goalkeepers get shutouts. Strikers get goals. There's a lot to be lost in the middle. Um, But our midfield was really inconsistent and and not great. So, again, just going with Aspie, the fact that all the chops and changes. um, But his assists, the amount of productivity we got from him as a right back was extremely impressive and um, Please say nope. his real name. No. Nope. Please do it. And, real name. Uh, and um, <laughs> I don't think touched on enough in the media as far as like the top right backs uh, that were in the league this season. So that's where I went with uh, with Aspie, Assist P, if you want to shorten it up. Mm. Phil, I don't even want to steal your thunder on this one because th- no one can do this justice except you. Let's be honest. Yeah, my unsung heroes for the season are representative of a cast of hundreds or in thousands really because the academy as an operation might be headed up by neil bath and jim fraser but the delegation to all of the staff throughout and then the families and everybody else connected to the players we had 13 academy graduates represent the club at the first team level this season the leading scorer tammy abraham 
most appearances, Mason Mount. Whichever way you want to cut it, this season was heavily influenced by the academy. So you've got Neil Barth, you've got Jim Fraser, who's very, very... He, he may be officially titled as assistant academy manager, but he's very, very involved in everything. He's particularly... Um, on, takes the lead on recruitment for 9-16s. And the third name that I wrote on the script was Darren Grace. And Darren Grace is head of local recruitment. So he's mm. primarily responsible for bringing in the players, uh, the youngest age groups, six, seven, eights, and nines. And all of the core boys that represented Chelsea this season started in that youngest age group as under nines. And they've been on the journey right through to the first team. So it's it's more representative of the whole academy. But Neil Bath, Jim Fraser, Darren Grace definitely deserve a shout out. Well said, sir. I knew you'd do it. Just such a such a softball for you on that one, obviously. Um, don't know if that translates to you, but essentially it's like a layup or an easy hit. So, <laughs> <laughs> Comeback player of the year. Uh, one that I struggle with because the comeback assumes they had a bad season last year, better season this year. So I still don't know. Live fumbling of me right now. Phil had Giroux. Nick had Willian. Dan had Zuma. And I, I just couldn't come up with anyone like this. So I guess I want to hear from you, Nick. Like, what made Willian a comeback? And maybe kind of your guys' context will help me pick one because I maybe I'm too nice on people. Maybe that's my problem. Yeah, that's your problem. I don't think Willian had a bad year last year, but it certainly wasn't as good as this year was for him. I mean, it doesn't help. He, Sitting in that Eden Hazard having the, his best season shadow. <laughs> yeah, right. So, like, maybe maybe I'm a little bit off on on my on my uh, guide here, but I, I think for William, his last season at the club, wearing the number ten, finally um, crucial in the way that Frank wanted to play with a high press, and I think gave everything he had to the club, even though you know it was clearly uh, not going to be a a thing that he extended past past the season. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy that he finally broke 10 Premier League goals in a season for the first time. Uh, I, I, you know, I think he was crucial in the champions league run, um, you know, in the group stage at the very least. And he was someone that Frank counted on all year and was, was a leader and, and captained us a couple of times too. So um, maybe not the best comeback shout, but uh, just a minute to wax poetic on a guy who we've had an up and down relationship. We'll say. Yeah, and I mean credit to him. Um, the 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 rest of the group, Nick, before you joined, we were talking about how you know when David Luiz was sold, we had questions like William and him are very close. We know the Brazilians are a tight click. He was unbelievably professional and committed to the cause all season too. So if for no, knowing that talks aren't going well, this is like classic time to throw a fit for these top players you know when things are going well and he didn't he he actually overperformed in some areas so um i mean he probably needs some recognition so maybe this is the one dan zuma is this a literal comeback that you weren't on the team and now you are i think it's both i think we you know he had a pretty horrific injury and you know after that goes on loan to stoke city Ugh. goes on loan to everton which is crazy to think about that it's been you know there there was a point in time where he was playing next to John Terry and you were like in you know 2016 you're like okay cool this is going to be fantastic this is going to be the guy that we're going to entrust to be our our number two um as we move forward and you know that went really south and 
yeah, Zuma wasn't necessarily the 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 whole defense was you know a bit of a problem area this whole this season. But I think at the tail end of the Project Restart era, Zuma was the one reliable, no nonsense defender that was gonna kick it out of bounds, was going to try to find a way to not put us under any extra undue pressure because he uh, he maybe like most of us didn't trust that uh, if you let the ball land that maybe it uh, would be handled appropriately. So I mean, coming back in, finding his way to be, I think what most people would define as like our number two. So whomever else we bring in would really, you know, Zuma is like the partner potentially to that person in most regards, I think is, uh, is really nice to see. Hmm. All right. Well, literal and figurative. Um, he's still only 25. I think he's getting younger, honestly. <laughs> Uh, Phil, you had Olivier Giroud as your comeback player. Uh, I think I have some ideas where you might go with this, but I'm going to let you tell the story. Yeah, he essentially had one foot out of the door in January. He went to Milan for talks to Inter. Everyone presumed that his time at the club was over. And to be honest, most people were pretty happy with that. I went, well, maybe not happy, but they were accepting that his time at Chelsea had come to an end. And I don't think anyone really foresaw that he would be the team's leaving goal scorer after the restart and would be so integral into securing Champions League football for next season. So from starting 2020, almost leaving the club to finishing it as a player who many people would be happy with leading the line on occasion next season in a rotation with Tammy and uh, Tina Werner. Can't really complain with that. I think he's done really, really well. He's been ultra professional and it's credit to him. Yeah. So we've got Dan with the literal comeback, and now we've got Phil with the uh, comeback within a single season. Uh, (laughs) So I guess that just leaves Ruben Loftus-Cheek for me because if there's one person who has come back time and time again after injuries, it's him. I know he didn't feature a lot, especially, you know, did get some minutes in, in the restart time, but credit to him. These are serious injuries. There's nothing fun about rehabilitating an injury. I've done it. I broke my leg. He's done that type of rehab plan many a times over. And so credit to Ruben for just coming back physically, mentally, and emotionally uh, and getting rewarded some minutes at the end of the season. Obviously, we all have massive hopes for him. Um, So, yeah, kudos, kudos to Ruben. All right, so here's a little one-two punch for you. Best and worst quarantine hair. So I'm going to need two names for everybody. The first name is going to be best. second one is worst. So instead of spoiling the surprise, Nick, I'm going to let you tell me who your best and worst were. My, my, my best and worst is one entry. It's Mason Mount's facial hair upon return to the league. Once clean-shaven, our baby boy has started to sprout hairs on his chinny-chin-chin. Now, having had that look in college myself, I can tell you, I look back on those photos, and it was a poor choice. I think Mason someday will also feel that way uh, as he he graduates to a fuller beard. Um, But, you know, it was was entertaining while it lasted. I would just recommend that he, uh, you know, does whatever Eden Hazard did and get that full thing going. Hmm. Ah, he's gonna need need something. He's got he's got a little to work with. Just needs needs a little bit more. Dan, what about you for your best than worst? Well, I teed it up earlier, so no surprise that Drew gets a compliment here for just 
somehow seemingly looking like he always has a professional hairstylist around him, or it is his undercover job that he does at nights when he's not a professional footballer. The worst quarantine hair, without a question, on the team has got to be Jorginho. It was awful. That mop was terrible. <laughs> yeah, it connected to his face, which was the problem. Um, I but isn't Olivier Giroud's like wife like into like hair and and like esthetician stuff? Like I feel like he he, he has he, to make a commitment though to it too. He it's, it you know, look, he could potentially sure. benefit from a, a partner does that, but he you know. He has to also make the commitment to style. Yeah, that's a yeah. Ru- that's a routine, baby. Do you guys also <laughs> do, you, do you guys also remember Ingolo Conte's uh, actual hair? Stop it! Uh, stop upon- it! That's mine. All right, you're muted. Uh, best <laughs> post quarantine hair was Ingolo Conte. That was amazing. I mean, well, it was just it like a little volume. Lego. It had height. You're like, <laughs> who who was that? You you like didn't recognize him. It was amazing. It was like a like a disguise. And obviously, I have Jorginho for the worst hair ever. That was. The fact that he let that stay the entire time was just so bad, especially when you look at season review videos and you saw how tight that fade was and how clean it was and stuff in the beginning of the season. Phil, he just let himself go, did he not? <laughs> yeah, he really did. Um, you know, there's the look good, feel good, play good. And I think everything that was going on with Jorginho at the time was the complete 180 opposite of that. He didn't look good, he didn't feel good, and he wasn't playing good. Um, the other end of the scale, I've got Giroud as the best hair. He is the most handsome man in the Premier League, and he has those standards to uphold. Yep, yep. That's pretty much uh, was an Olivier Giroud award, uh, let's be honest. Uh, how about this? The most Chelsea thing that Chelsea Chelsea'd this season. I apologize for you that are not English speakers natively. What is the most Chelsea thing that Chelsea Chelsea'd or did this season? Uh, mine was the roller coaster. Win, then we're going to lose, then we're going to win, then we're going to win, then we're going to lose, 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 and we're going to win. Just no consistency. There was no 17 match unbeaten streak like under Antonio Conte. It was just frustrating in that sense. Um, Phil, I like how you you uh, had to call out one one match. You're able to just summarize when we Chelsea did into one point. Bournemouth. <sighs> yeah, uh, we spoke about it earlier. I think everyone goes into matches against Bournemouth expecting the worst, and Chelsea delivered on it yet again. And okay, the performance away in the two two draw wasn't particularly good, but the defeat at home with a farcical overhead kick winner with Kepper in no man's land and a VAR review that went on forever. I think it's. I've got nothing against Bournemouth, but I certainly won't miss playing them again next season. I don't think too many fans are going to be bummed to not make it over there this season. I don't think that's going to happen. Dan, what about you? Your what thing did Chelsea Chelsea this season? Well, it's it's the same as yours. I just framed it in a different way. It's the yo-yo effect. You know that we were really good in particular matches. You know, you, mm-hmm. oh, let's go beat City, and then oh, let's go lose to West Ham. You know, let's, it, it just was super infuriating at times to not have the consistency that was required to mm-hmm. make the end of the season land a little bit easier. So I, I look forward to more consistent results in the 2020-21 season. Got it. Uh, Nick, you, as the finale to this one, have uh, brought the fireworks. I did. Uh, Chelsea, in the Champions League away at Ajax come up looking amazing, right? We all remember the last-minute Batshuayi winner. 
We stifled them at home. Tamori plays excellent. Uh, Christian Pulisic with an assist, a pool assist, if you will. Then the return fixture at Stanford Bridge completely shit the bed in the first half. And, uh, you know, Ziyech puts one off the bar and subsequently Kepa's face for a goal. We go down big. A double red card <laughs> gets us back in the game. It's the most wild thing I remember. think I've ever seen. It's absolutely insane. Reese James levels. Dave hits the winner, except I've watched the replay again. An incredibly dubious handball call on Tammy Abraham that he wouldn't have known anything about because he's looking the other direction. Takes the, the goal off the board. We we draw that one 4-4 in the most ridiculous match of the season. Uh, that is as Chelsea as Chelsea can be. Right there. Yeah, that that's actually quite fair. Um, I'll give it, I'll concede that one. Uh, what about the most intoxicating moment? The time that uh, made you weak in the knees, took your breath away, just swept you off your feet. Uh, Dan, speaking of sweeping people off their feet, what did you have? So the way you framed that is fantastic. You, you said some really interesting things this episode. And I'm, just, <laughs> I'm on fire. You're I'm welcome. It's stitches. Uh, so mine is the only one that doesn't actually end with a goal. But I think it is a highlight that I will remember was Kurt Zuma basically going the full length of the field, dribbling the ball and in the Champions League was quite mighty and, you know, just had some incredible step overs and some dodges and, yeah, which was great. Like, it's not what you're expecting to see, but it just shows you that football is crazy and can surprise you at times. You know, I think goals happen from other people. That was a pretty... A special thing to see from Kurt Nick. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's that might be the winner of this group, to be honest with you. I love that moment so much. Uh, Pulisic's hat trick to me is something I'll never forget. Um, it it genuinely kind of, I mean, he, I, he was playing well up into that point, but it, it, it kind of came out of nowhere, especially against a Burnley team who we expected to kick the crap out of us like they normally do. And, uh, kind of effortlessly glided past them in this one, and Pulisic had a lot to do with that. Uh, obviously, a lot of pride in him and uh, you know his ability to do that uh, first player since Clint Dempsey uh, back in the day as an American. Yeah, that, I mean, that was huge for his confidence. We knew he could play in the league. I mean, no, like, if you can do it against Burnley, you can pretty much do it against most teams in the league. A cold um, winter's night in Burnley. Uh, yeah. yeah. I ha- I also had Pulisic, too. Just his breakout during the restart, becoming the man. Um, mm-hmm. The amount of pride and excitement that that filled me with was just, it was amazing because he was doing well, then he got injured, and you're like, all right, well, we'll see what happens when he comes back. But for him to be so damn good, it, you're just like, the left wing is his. All right, we're building around him. That was super exciting uh, for obvious biased reasons. Uh, Phil, um, you had a very intoxicating moment yeah i've gone for reese james's equalizer against ajax in the craziest game of the season the it, it was just the stanford bridge was rocking at that point that would just come back from however many goals down uh his goal was follow up for a shot that just hit the crossbar it was a complete swing in emotions and one of the moments that will stay with me for a long time from this season is him knee sliding in celebration yeah. in front of the Matthew Harling stand being mobbed by a significant number of other academy graduates and it wasn't necessarily a moment that they'd all arrived but this was them performing on the big stage and something that a lot of us have been waiting a long time to see yeah that uh his passion because he's a reserved guy 
couldn't control it, couldn't contain it. We just got to see pure elation uh, and, and, and Reese in the moment. I mean, that was, that was obviously fantastic. Got us real hyped uh, and for good reason. So, um, all right, biggest shock of the season. I think this one will be interesting. Phil, I'm going to actually go right back to you on this one because um, yours actually has nothing to do with the match of football being played. It does not. It was the rather abrupt sale of David Luiz in preseason. Uh, less than a month earlier, he'd signed a new two-year contract and everyone presumed that he was around. He was going to be the mainstay of Lampard's defence. And then things didn't quite go to plan in preseason and suddenly he was out the door joining Arsenal and that all materialised over 48 to 72 hours. I think when all of us saw the initial rumours linking him with Arsenal, we sort of laughed it off and then suddenly thought, hold on a minute, this is actually happening. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the face of Chelsea's defence changed, maybe for the better. Um, the statistics may not back that up. But I, I think we were, it was addition by subtraction in his case. I think it, as much as he might give you one game, he'll let you down for the next two. And it was more important that Lampard set the tone that if somebody like Luis was prepared to undermine him, it wasn't going to fly. And we saw that he meant business before a ball had been kicked in anger. A ball kicked in anger. I love it because you knew it was coming. Um, you talk about critical moments for Frank Lampard in his first season. That is very much uh, up there with them, without a doubt. Uh, Dan, why do you got to bring the mood down with your shock of the season? Come on, man. Yeah, Dan. Well, since he since playing in top fight football in the 2014-2015 season in uh, Ligue 1, um, and Golo Kante had not played less matches than he did this season for Chelsea. He played 20 in 28 matches, uh, 2,300 minutes. The The lowest number before that was 38 at 3,200 minutes. Jeez. He, he has been a machine. He has been the most, one of the most reliable players, most consistent players. Um, his, you know, his floor is higher than many people's ceiling. And to, Watch this season, him struggle with injuries to to have to try to adapt to to different positions to be out for long stretches was not something I was anticipating going into this season. I mean, we we knew that he struggled a little bit at the tail end of, of last year, but you know, kind of was amazing in our our cup final and and the winning the Europa League. I I just wasn't expecting this. I I really thought he would have been someone who would have almost week in week out. He would have had Mason's role in my mind. He would have been in the team sheet every match almost and to not have that was was super weird and, and i think was a real struggle for frank too i don't think frank was expecting it either i appreciate frank not running him into the ground like other managers though so that was a win but definitely something he had to deal with you losing your last world-class player to injury this season I maybe mean, he still had what 28 appearances you said 28 appearances 3200 minutes still scored three goals that liverpool beauty Whew. we were there for that one man we we almost rocketed into the uh, the stratosphere with that one. Yeah. Uh, Nick, what about you for sh- biggest shock of the season? Yeah, I think just given his performance of the first half of the year, we, we touched on this a little bit in part one, which is, you know, for Kyle Tamori not really getting a chance the second half of the year with such inconsistency in the back line is pretty shocking to me, honestly. You know, clearly he made a few uh, young player mistakes at the – you know, during during the middle of the the kind of run that he had, but uh, to see Rudiger and Zuma and Christensen 
at the very least not be consistent and at the most struggle a lot of times this year and to see, you know, a relatively um, above average performer in Tamori not really get a sniff uh, is shocking to me. And I think it's something that, you know, I hope is is figured out because I, I really enjoyed watching him play the first part of the year. Yeah, I, I definitely, yeah. I'm, I think we're all kind of hoping something comes out on that. We get a little bit of a, a heads up, but I get it. Um, mine was Keppa. I did not see him being so bad this season. Like he, he generally wasn't that bad for sorry last season. Granted, we had he faced way fewer shots, and that could be part of it. But just lack of confidence, lack of ability, didn't mesh, whatever it was. I mean, he really like wasn't even at a competent level. Where you're like, well, okay, at least he's doing enough to get by. Like to see him get that bad, uh, and and to see Willie kind of take over and be like, oh, geez, I guess Willie's our number one goalkeeper this season. Like you did not, I just didn't expect him to be that bad. So it's a bad shock, not a good shock. But to be fair. The three of us all came with negative shocks, and Phil over here is Mr. Optimist and was like, no, here's a good thing that shocked me. So uh, I guess that just says a lot about us uh, and, and how we look at things. Um, but the last one we have before we get into the season predictions was uh, looking ahead. Who we think the next youth player will see in the first team next season based on what we saw in the 1920 Premier League season. Obviously, Phil's going last. Duh. So I said Gilmore. Dan said whatever Phil says, which is like guessing <laughs> the right answer. Duh. Nine dollars and one cent and price is right. So thank you for that. Uh Nick, you had Tino Andrin. So none of that matters because Phil, the expert, is here to tell us what the answer is. Excellent. Thank you. If we class Gilmore as having already made his first team breakthrough, then yeah. I think the in terms of pure ability, you're looking at Tino Andrin or Connor Gallagher as being the closest to being ready to contribute. They both arguably could carve out a role in the squad next season, but the odds are in favor of one or both of them being on loan. And that's why it becomes interesting as to who breaks through from the players that don't go on loan. Uh, if you go back 12 months, the idea of Armando Broja making his first team debut this season would have been fanciful. Uh, it's to his credit that he had such a good season and he broke through. So you start to look at the players who are likely to feature most in the development squad next season. And somebody like Lewis Bate comes to mind. He was with the first team squad uh, bubble after lockdown. He was on the bench at Sheffield United. He travelled with the squad to the FA Cup final. And he's a little bit like Gilmore. He's not quite the same sort of player. He's the left-footed equivalent. He's a little bit more aggressive with the way he plays. Um and covers a lot of ground. But he if he has a really good season for the development squad, he could definitely earn opportunities. And the, the compact schedule next season mm-hmm. means that some of the, the League Cup matches, for example, should be these opportunities for players to get a look. So Henry Lawrence could have a go, Daniel Simeo could have a look, uh, Valentino Livramento, all of the boys who were with the first team bubble and got that six to eight week window of training with the first team squad and building up trust and credit with Frank would probably be in line first for such opportunities in uh, September or October. Valentino Livramento is a hell of a name. Just it's rolls just up the incredible. tongue. It really is. And you could you could also throw in the, the new boy, Umbiamba, to that, that he's he's obviously got the the physical credentials immediately. 
he's not the savior that everyone seems to think he'll be um, based on the questionable standards of Chelsea's first team centre-halves this season. But he has all of the tools to make really, really quick progress through the ranks. Um, he could handle his own uh, in, in cup competitions. And as we've seen with Frank over the last year, if you impress and you have the right attitude in training, the opportunities will come your way. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like Ampadu doesn't fit this question or are we just overlooking him? I think I'm expecting him to go back on alone because if I, I, I admire his desire, drive and determination to earn a place in the first team squad this season. But after a year at Leipzig where he didn't play, I don't think he can afford to have another year where he's a bit part player at best. And a lot depends on whether somebody like Declan Rice is signed or not as to how many opportunities Ampadu would get to play this season. But he's since he signed for Exeter, he's really not played that much meaningful football. So you're looking at this season, he'll he'll be 20. He needs to get a lot of minutes under his belt to to really start making progress and to recapture some of what he had because by no means was he bad for Leipzig losses. And we saw him thrown into um, Spurs. action away to Tottenham. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he excelled in, in at centre-half. And I think he's a better midfielder than he is at centre-half, but he's he's very good at both. And you've got to pick your next move very carefully with him because if you have three straight seasons of pretty much nothing, then you start to encroach on something like Loftus-Cheek territory. Now, Loftus-Cheek's absences have mostly been through injury, but he's 25 in January and is yet to reach 150 senior appearances. You don't want that to happen to Ampadu. Totally fair. All right. Well, those are are the awards we have for this 1920 season. We're going to take a real quick ad break. Thank you to the sponsor for supporting the show financially. When we're back, we're going to revisit our predictions from this season and see how good we were because there's nothing that we're better at than predicting things that we have no idea what's going to happen. So we'll be right back. All right, so about a year ago, because that's how damn long this season was, we did uh, predictions. Uh, we, we predicted a lot of things, and now we're going to find out how accurate we were. So these are Premier League predictions, so we should keep it simple, all right, before you status come back at us and say, well, they did it. Well, we got we keep it simple. We just, just went Premier League, so... Uh, the first one we predicted was that uh, how many goals Chelsea would score. So the benchmark for the, under Mitsu Sorry was 63 goals. So I predicted 60. Dan predicted 70. Nick predicted 63. And the total was 69. So, Dan, you went over, but we're closest. <laughs> so I guess we chalk it up <laughs> to you. Now, but... The hilarious part is coming. Which <laughs> is the day out, the lead, the goal scores. We're like, who are going to be the top three goal scores? Phil, believe it or not, I guess Pedro Barkley and Giroud <laughs> because preseason was a humming at that point. Dan had Barkley, Tammy, and Pulisic, which actually wasn't that bad of a shout, which is super annoying. And then Two out three. Nick had Callum, Barkley, and Pedro. Boys, Pedro barely even featured. He went out with a whimper. That was, was a big fat zero that I just posted right there. Yeah. In all reality, it was Tammy, William, and Pulisic uh, as the top three goal scorers. Uh, Phil, we're just going to let you uh, grade us on this. It's, it's pretty poor uh, with Dan <laughs> being the standout in this category. Uh, Dan had Abraham and Pulisic, so he he wins. And I don't think there's very much to say about the others. Yeah, I really, really hope this uh, this streak ends right now, Dan. Uh, because the next one we had, oh, well. 
was uh, total assists under Mitsu. Sorry, we had 52. Um, we went with who was going to be the leading assisters. We had 46 this season. We had six less assists, which is not great. I had William and nobody because I'm dumb. I just was like, it's only going to be William. Dan had Mason Mount and uh, Reese James leading the assists, and Nick had Pulisic and Giroux. But what was the answer? William. I don't want to say it. Yeah. Phil, aren't you proud of me? I'm very proud. I'm (laughs) just disappointed that none of you had assist Piliqueta. Nick is really whose fault that is. Very good shout, Phil. Well done. And thank you for using his uh, God-given name. (laughs) His legal name? Yeah. yeah. His birth name. Uh, how many goals His will Chelsea Christian concede? Name. The next one. Uh, conceded 39 under Mauricio. Sorry. Um, we conceded 54 this season. So uh, <laughs> mine is that terrible stat. Uh, um, I had 45. Dan with 36. Nick at 45. <clears throat> Gentlemen, the level of op- optimism blinded us. Uh, but to be fair, Phil, did you expect us to bleed goals in Frank's first season? I didn't, and given that Kepa let a lot of things past him, I'm going to let this one pass for all of you guys. Hey, I my... also would like to point out that Dan was nearly 20 goals off. I like it. It's, oh, yeah. yeah. This was not a good one. Yeah. This was bad. <laughs> yeah, you were feeling real confident. Uh, it's probably because David Luiz is still on the team at this time. That's uh, true. Next one we had was how many clean sheets will Chelsea pick <sighs> up? Uh, we had 14 under me, so sorry. So I went 14 again. Dan feeling real strong with 17. Uh, Nick feeling real pessimistic at 12. And we got nine. So, <laughs> again, nine clean sheets out of a 38-match season, knowing that we had some pretty terrible teams in the league this season, and we fumbled that one. I mean, again, Phil, we can probably just point this all at Kepa and just move on and be done with it. Yeah, I think that's safe. Otherwise, I might get in trouble and he might file a restraining order. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you didn't listen to the first uh, season review, uh, Phil had some amazing uh, scores for some players. And uh, Kepa's was a zero. No spoiler. So go back and listen to that. Most appearances. So this is where I'm just going to get it a little bit. <laughs> Um, I predicted David Luiz literally the next day he left for Arsenal. So, uh, that was great. At least I lost early. Dan and Nick going with Keppa. Phil, you want to, you want to go ahead and let them know how off they were on that one? (laughs) Yeah. I kind of think it's almost cheating a little to pick the goalkeeper for the most appearances because more often than not, that's going to be the case. Um, Mason Mount made the most appearances. He played in 37 or 38 league matches. If if I'd have made the same predictions at that time, I probably would have been inclined to think that Kante would have played more than he did. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. a very safe bet. If fit. you can, like Dan said earlier, he would have played as often as Mount did, maybe more. But unfortunately, I oh. he he missed pretty much half the season. As piece the other cheat code on this one usually. So, uh, but I think we all felt like if Reese James was that serious of a contender for right back that he may fall off a little bit from his normal. He made 36, so he was right behind Mount. Yeah, that's crazy. That's just nuts. So this one was, who will be Chelsea's player of the season? Obviously, we don't know the official one at this point. <laughs> I had William. Dan had Mount. Nick had Pedro. Pedrito. <laughs> oh, man. What was I doing? God. Was it the, the over-the-head kick? The back Yeah, heel? I must have been riding high off that like <laughs> yeah. in, midair scorpion that he scored against Salzburg. God. 
Phil, I mean, what? from a player of the season prediction standpoint, Dan sticking his neck out there for Mason Mount, and he wasn't that far off. I have a feeling that Mount's going to win this. It's a public fan vote, and and I, I, I don't think the football Twitter is representative of the entire fan base. So for everybody who might be inclined to vote Kovacic, and that's their prerogative, I think you'll find more people will side with Mount. So that, that looks like a pretty prescient shout from Dan. Ugh, that's not... Not helping the team chemistry. Who will be Chelsea's most improved player from season to season? This is even worse. Uh, yeah, this is a bad this one. Is, this, is, uh, this is rough. This is very oh, rough. So we'll just get to it. I had Kovacic feeling real good about that. Dan had Callum Hudson-Odoi. Ooh, and Nick coming in hot with Emerson. Oh, my God. What was I doing? <laughs> Bill, I can't defend him. And I don't expect you to, but I'm just going to let you pile on a little bit you can't defend him and emerson can't defend i think it's appropriate <laughs> oh my um, god yeah but much like my thoughts on kepper i think i should probably draw a line under them before uh, i get in a bit of trouble um i think most improved player is arguably mount he had no previous premier league experience and finished the season looking like um, one of the best players at the club. But I think the other shout in my mind might have been Tammy because this was his second uh, second go at being a Premier League striker. The first loan on Swansea was a little rough, and this you know kind of showed that he was capable of uh, you know being a top goal scorer for uh, you know top European club. So I think you know he's probably the other one. I think uh, Callum was is is unfortunately disappointing that the injuries kind of took him so long to get back and find his way into the team i really was hoping that he would uh he would be the one he was back he was back early i mean he was back when we were there at the end of september he just didn't feature a lot so high hopes for the kid though tell you what high hopes uh coach wasn't terrible i don't know that's respectable i'll take that uh here we go what position do chelsea finish in the league and we have our top Six predictions and who we relegated. So we're going to get through this because this is going to be fun. Um, I guessed fourth, uh, so you can PayPal me uh, my earnings. Appreciate it. Dan had third, which was looking real good until the very end. Nick was sixth. And uh, if you want to go back and listen to our prediction episode, it might sound really funny right now, now that you have all the answers in context. And not just picking on Nick, but all of us. Um, I mean, Phil, you have... Dan, who's was the over optimist, I was the neutral, and I think Nick the pessimist, as you'd assume throughout this entire thing. And the, and the position predictions stand by that. Yeah, they do, and it, it was a matter of goal difference in the end. I my predictions yeah. in the preseason were um, I had Chelsea finishing third as well. Uh, so I think being confident in qualifying for the Champions League was ultimately well well placed. I I can see why people would have been a little bit more cautious um, with a sixth place prediction from Nick. But the league played out like it played out. I don't think anyone expected Tottenham to be quite so bad this season, but that was uh, a nice bonus. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I love that. A nice bonus. Um, yeah, I, th- I think recanting my my testimony at the beginning of the year, the, the, the fact that we lost Eden Hazard and, and couldn't really replace him was my... Like, I think the, where do the goals come from is my question. And I was pleasantly surprised they came from a lot of different places, although inconsistently. Yeah. Um, all right, top six predictions. Uh, so real quick, let me tell you what the, the top six were. The official table standings. 
Liverpool first, Manchester City second, Manchester United third, Chelsea fourth, Leicester City fifth, Tottenham Hotspur sixth. I had Manchester City, Liverpool, Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal, Leicester City. So I didn't have United anywhere in my top six. I did have Leicester though. Uh, and Arsenal were wrongfully in there. And Tottenham just made it at the very end, as we said. Uh, Dan, I'll let you walk through yours, top six. Uh, City, Liverpool, Chelsea, United, Spurs, and Wolves. And without, with Leicester being, if I had Leicester in there, I would have like declared this as the ultimate victory over the both of you. But uh, that was not the case. So the victory not declared. Noted. Got it. Uh, Nick, <laughs> what about you? This will be great. I have to stop drinking before I do these, I think. Or I have to drink more. Either way, I was in that weird spot where I made another terrible batch of predictions here. Uh, City, and I denoted by 9 to 12 points. Feeling real good about that one. Oh, my God. And they only came in second by like 30 or 40 points. So, you know, sure. Uh, Liverpool second, United third, Arsenal fourth. Sure. Spurs fifth and uh, Chelsea sixth. Tough, tough beat there. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Uh, Phil, it's like even the way the season plays out, you can still have a pretty good idea who your top four are going to be, top six even. Uh, obviously, I did Chuck and Lester, Dan threw in Wolves. Nick went with your traditional top six, but that didn't come to fruition. So. I, I mean, it's kind of you, you kind of predictable, but the positions within who's where clearly are not. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think Dan did very well to get all four Champions League qualifiers um, spot on, not in the right order, but uh, I, I think Leicester were the surprise team to, to to get into the top six, and Arsenal finishing way down in mid table was probably the biggest upset from all of that. Um, Although, again, Dan didn't have Arsenal in his top six, so where he actually predicted them to finish is only his guess. You can claim credit and say that you actually had them finishing ninth now if you'd like. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I totally had it ninth. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm surprised we cut... Where did you cut off the rest of this, Nick? Yeah, yeah we got to gotta do full table next season. Full <laughs> table. You know, I think... you know, And it was it was real tight at the end. I mean, the amount of places Tottenham made up is actually kind of impressive. I didn't think they had it in them. Leicester were in third until right at the very end, and then they just fell. Wolves were right in it until the end, too. I mean, it was one of the most chaotic, you know, ends of the season for obvious reasons because not only was the top four a wild mess because we also thought City were suspended, you know, because they broke rules, but then UEFA's like, wait, never mind. We don't know how to enforce our own rules, so joke on us. Um, we thought they were out, so then you're gonna take top five. It it was equally crazy down the relegation zone, which thankfully we really didn't pay attention to. Minus, oh, do they have their backs against the wall at the end of the season? Are they gonna be putting up a fight? So for relegation, I had Newcastle, Brighton, and Sheffield United. So chalk that one up for all of us because oh. we all had them. Dan, who were your three? Uh, I thought a Southampton were going to go down finally, and Danny Ings decided to individually prove me wrong. Um, Norwich, which did go down, and then uh, Sheffield, which we all predicted, and that was a really bad beat. Mm-hmm. Nick? Uh, yeah, I had Norwich City, uh, and, and I think I got the rest right. So 
I won this one. Yeah. Uh, no. Brighton Sheffield. I had Br- I had Brighton going down, and honestly, they're terrible. Um, Sheffield United was the biggest shock of the season by a country mile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and credit credit to Chris Wilder. I mean, they certainly whooped up on us at the end. Yeah. The the official official relegated teams were Bournemouth, Watford, North City, <laughs> Phil. I mean, you know, again, Sheffield in the European places right until the end. Uh, Newcastle somehow pulling, you know, looking actually pretty good after the break. Brighton just doing enough. Um, Southampton actually looking really, really sharp all of a sudden under Hasenhutl. Um, But relegation's an absolute crapshoot. Like some of these teams that are still in the Premier League, I'm so confused how. I don't get it. Yeah, I was really surprised that Watford went down. I wasn't surprised that Sheffield United stayed up. I didn't have them in my predictions, but I, I definitely didn't have them finishing that high up the table. And I think there's a bunch of teams, anyone in the bottom half this season could easily fall next season because you, you tread water for so long and you can't break through to that next level like Bournemouth and Bournemouth invested a lot of money in their squad. Uh, to try to make themselves a consistent top 10 to 12 team. And it's really, really hard to do that because there's so much money in the top half of the table. So I think it's entirely... I had Newcastle going down in my predictions and I think Steve Bruce did a really good job to get Mm -hmm. out of it given that he rarely had the backing of his own fans who were still harking back to wanting Benitez and he outperformed them. So it's, it's never easy to stay up in the Premier League. Credit to any manager who manages to achieve that. And... Maybe Arsenal go down next season. Wild. Fingers crossed, baby. Absolute Come sense. on. Come on. I mean, Southampton got pummeled eight nothing by Leicester and then turned their season around nine, from that. Nine nothing. You know, so they were f- expected to go down, turned it around. Uh, but well, Newcastle. Villa, Villa and, and Watford were in the, the last spot for a big part of the season, exactly. too. I mean, we, we can't forget we about that. We gifted Bournemouth four points. We gave them four points and they still tried to help them. <laughs> Tried to actively help them. Yeah, so Newcastle easily could have gone down. Palace could have gone down. Brighton, West Ham, Villa. All those teams were in and about it and right to the end. Um, but the three worst teams, they they fought their faces off to get down there. I mean, <laughs> Norwich had 21 points. You guys remember the Pookie party at the beginning of the season? Yeah, that fiesta ended real quick. Uh, Watford had 34 points. Like they won eight matches out of thirty-eight. Norwich won five, and Bournemouth had thirty-four points. They won nine matches all season. Like you talk about a shit season to watch at a fan. Could you imagine only winning eight matches all season? Oh, it is some turgid, turgid football down there. They are so bad. But um, Villa, you know, just squeaking it out. West Ham, Brighton, same thing. I mean, there's not. There's somehow six points between Brighton and fifteenth and Bournemouth at eighteenth. Uh, seven points, and uh, I don't even know how they pulled it off. But hey, guys, that's that's the season in a nutshell. I mean, Phil, your your kind of overall reaction of this season, like, what, do you give it a great, a meh, or an, that was an ugly season? Like, what's your kind of overall feeling now that's all wrapped? Uh, I said at the start of part one of this that for Chelsea it was a work in progress, but as a season overall, I don't think it's anything like we'll ever see again. There was a three months absence right at the the business end of the campaign you come back there's no fans in stadiums you've got to fit three months of fixtures into a month and a half and the the physical demands on that it just made it so unpredictable and so surreal that I think anyone who came out of it with credit should 
definitely deserves it. Just uh, Lampard's in his first Premier League season. He, obviously, he's been a player for at that level for so long, but it's a different animal when you're when you're coaching. And yeah, it, it's definitely a positive season for Chelsea. I think it's the the building blocks and the foundations are starting to be put into place in certain areas. We know where the problems are. Lampard knows where the problems are, and hopefully, it's. It's the, it's the start of a long and successful story. Agreed. I mean, for me, Dan, it's like the minimum level of acceptance. Context says it's Frank's first season. There was no transfer ban. We did enough to get top four. But it's like, all right, here, here's the here's the floor. We, we got to go from here. And, you know, knowing what we now know about the season, Phil's point, like we even changed the rules for part of the season because it was that big of an anomaly an outlier um at the end of the day like credit to frank we didn't win a trophy but we got to a final and we got top four it, that objectively is a good season based on our circumstances yeah we were hand tied a little bit around how much we were going to be able to do i think the winning of an, an fa cup would have been you know something that take took this season to being like a yeah, I think Phil's point around we'll never see something like this again is absolutely accurate. It would have been uh, another level of just incredible, you know, happenstance and, and fortunes if we had done the FA Cup as well. I, I think with the way that we're spending in in Werner and Ziyech and potentially Havertz here, the expectation is going to be much higher next season. And I think we have a manager in place who knows that, who's communicating that and is setting the appropriate bar, Nick. So yeah, I'm. we have a season that starts in less than a month and I am so ready for it. Yeah, inject it in my veins. Um, I am, I'm going to look back on, on this season incredibly fondly. Uh, I think when it's all said and done, I'll never forget the energy of being at the bridge against Liverpool, all those young guys starting and going toe-to-toe with them and, and probably deserving more than, than what we got out of that, out of that game. Uh, to see Frank's first win in person at the bridge, incredible. Uh, and, you know, just to be along the ride with, with everybody who listens to the show, I mean, we, we try and do our best to remain calm throughout the year we try and do our best to not go too high or too low but damn it if there weren't points this year where we had to you know and and that is part of being a football fan you know it's part of the great uh great uh part of of this journey is is just understanding uh you know those those kind of key inflection points so really proud of the team really proud of the effort that was involved from everybody and Thank you for listening to about the 190th episode of this season's yeah, podcast list. No. It keeps on growing every time you mention a number. 574. <laughs> Exponentially. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, Phil, thanks for hanging out with us, making time again for part two. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, you're an expert in your field, and we love having you share the knowledge with us. So thanks, sir. Uh, thank you for having me, not just for for this one, but throughout the whole season. It's been uh, a really fun experience, and I'm looking forward to Spending more time talking to you guys next season. Awesome. Well, we'd love to have that. Uh, listeners, you're the best out there. Thanks for listening to us. You got two long episodes back to back, but there's a lot to talk about. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, let us know who you picked for all those awards. We'd love to debate and have fun conversations about it. Best place to do it is our Discord on Patreon. But that's going to wrap us up. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.